0: Welcome to the Inclusive Leader Podcast. The practice of inclusive leadership enables us to tackle the complex challenges of our times. This is the space for conversations about inclusive leadership. I am your host, Jörg Schmitz, and I welcome you to this episode. This episode of the Inclusive Leader Podcast focuses, among other topics, on psychological well-being in the workplace. And the connection that psychological well being has to leadership. I'm having this conversation with my colleague, Ralf Schurg. The COVID pandemic led him and his professional practice to this topic and its exciting potential. We discover together how normalizing mental illness and creating inclusive environments beyond shame and stigma can contribute to humanizing our organizations and unlock human potential. I hope you will enjoy this conversation and also the very practical advice that Ralph provides. So, Ralph, what do you do? What do I do?
1: <laughs> That's my final yeah, question
0: when we do when we do these introductory podcasts. Yeah. But what do you do?
1: Yeah, what do I do? So, on a on more you know practical level, um, and, and maybe I'll just explain just a tiny bit about the background that brought me there. It's you know I, I went to, when I went to graduate school way back, I I actually wanted to become a licensed psychologist. That was my idea. And so I I did my clinical internship while I was going through the graduate program. and, And so a year and a half in a clinic and logged hours and did all these things. And during that time, really discovered, no, that's not my world. Psychology is my world, but not clinical. And so I went into, I mean, you know, I was working full-time while I was going to grad school. So I just knew, no, I really want to go into the business world because frankly, I saw a lot of things in the company I was working at that weren't going well. And and leaders were just not doing a good job. and And the stress level was high. And it was just one of those things where I thought, hmm, what if, a lot of what ifs came up for me. And that's how I got started in this business. And so what it evolved into is what I do now, which is, over the past 20, almost eight years now, I guess, um, is it's it started as really organizational development work, mm-hmm. which very quickly morphed into cross-cultural development work and cross-cultural understanding amongst multicultural teams. I ended up working all over the world, spent a lot of time in Asia for a while, you know, all that stuff, worked all over Europe and You know, down in Australia and all these places. So my point being, it was really fascinating for me, and for me, it was like my 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 uh, uh, apprenticeship, if you will, because I got to work in all these different cultures and how they see the world and themselves in relationship to it, and how do they define? How do you define leadership in Japan, and how different that is to how you define leadership in the U.S. and how different that is to Germany or France? Or it's it's just fascinating. So that really was was a beautiful development, which led to um, mostly then really honed in on leadership development. And a lot of it, again, cross-cultural, a lot of work with executives moving to other countries. How do you adjust to the different cultural standards? How do you communicate? How do you have to show up? That kind of thing, which then morphed into executive coaching on a more specified level. A lot of team developing, you know, just, just really in the last... Oh, eight years, probably a lot of work around high-performing teams.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then the DEI work in the last 11, 12 years, diversity, equity, and inclusiveness, which all the, it, it for me, it's always funny. Everything I've done culminated into, yeah, this makes sense that I did all the things I did. Um, and uh, the high-performing team stuff really is fascinating to me because to me, DEI and high-performing teams are like a flip side of a coin. Yeah, When you have an inclusive environment, people show up. Right, and then they can give their 110% and that's where you get your high performing team stuff. And uh, yeah, so that's really been, I've done a little mediation work as well, but uh, but mainly it's really the leadership development is really my my thing. And then with the pandemic, what started to happen, and that's really interesting for me, uh, surprising, and, and also really interesting that that this happened is mental health in the workplace became a gigantic topic in the last two years, especially. So I have spent the last two years literally talking to people about how do you talk about mental health in the workplace? Because people are struggling yeah, and they're struggling quietly and then they don't, they don't see anybody. They don't talk to anybody because there's a stigma around mental health. So then it gets worse and it compounds itself. And eventually they may have to take a leave of absence if not quit their job. And nobody wants that. Yeah. So that's been a real interesting development. That the psychology piece of my training has really come more into focus that way. I was thinking you came full circle
0: a little bit, right? So it back into psychology, but not in the in the you know kind of clinical sense, yep. but but into to the psychological questions of individuals,
1: right? And exactly. Right. Yes, and it's been fascinating and very gratifying. And so uh, it's it's been a, a powerful journey, and and to see how much we have how much work we have to do and and for me to realize in the 40 plus countries i've worked in and i started to really think about it and i went you know every single one of those cultures i've worked in has a similar stigma around mental health
0: mm-hmm.
1: now to varying degrees a little bit but it's this idea there's us who are mentally healthy and then there are those who aren't and there's some subgroups to that but but the idea is us versus them and I don't want to become one of them.
0: Yeah. Every culture has a has a, a sense of stigma around it. It might express itself differently, but certainly, yeah, absolutely.
1: It's fascinating. It's fascinating how it's very, very similar. And it keeps people from seeking help. And and the statistic the statistic that has blown my mind, and I actually saw it once about 10, 11 years ago and was was almost a little skeptical. Could that be true? In the US. At that time, it was 54% of the people who are struggling with a mental health issue do not receive the treatment they need. Yeah, sure. That's pretty significant. And I was like, what? Yeah. Why? And my thought was, oh, I bet you they don't have mental health um, coverage through their health care plan, right? It's money. It's it's, it's expensive. Yeah. Nope. Eight out of 10 of the people, and that's never changed. Eight out of 10 of the people who do not receive treatment do not receive it because shame and stigma keeps them from seeking treatment. And that's statistically what's, what's shocking is over the last 11 years, it's always been over 50%. It's Luckily, it's not gone over 60, and it's, but it's also never dropped below 50. But last year was 56%, 56.4%. To be precise, last year, the number in 2022 was 56.4% do not receive the treatment they need. Still, for the That's same. probably reason.
0: conservative because how many people yeah. do not even own up to it, right? So
1: and don't know.
0: Yeah, or don't know. Yeah, or don't know.
1: Yeah, and it's 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 shocking. So no wonder worldwide. I'm sure this number is not again right because of the similar stigma. Probably very similar around the world, and some places might be worse. Some places a little less, but the idea is, human beings are really struggling.
0: Yeah. So before we before before we go into that more deeply, i just I have two two actually just two questions out of what you just said. One is, because I've been mean, coming back to your days in Asia and cross-cultural work that you've done, um, how do you
1: define leadership? Leadership is a quality. It's not necessarily a particular action it's a state of mind and it's a quality that somebody can bring to bear in their relationship with others. Now, they're going to do it in that cultural way that's appropriate, however that may look. And those qualities can also be defined culturally, where in Japan, you know, the idea is you need to have proven your expertise to a great extent. And the people need to know they can 100% trust your judgment on professional matters, whatever that expertise may look like. And then you are to be a humble leader. But in your humility, you are also, you have authority. Mm -hmm. And that authority is never questioned. But you've earned it. But the way that leader shows up is very different than a leader in the US, where I bring people to the table, I, you know, create conversation, I'm listening to input, I'm trying to get everybody you know, get on board, you know, that kind of thing. I'm selling. A leader in the U.S. sells a lot more, right? But they share the quality, I believe, when they're good leaders, that's just my personal take. They share the quality of humility and being able to listen. And I think those are two qualities that leaders have to have, no matter how I express it culturally, technically, if you will, right? I think humility and the ability to listen are two essential qualities and an effective leader. And yeah. A good, and and what we might call good, and that's a you know stretchable term, but but you get the idea. That's what I was saying. And is say. that
0: the connection that you see to wellness or mental health um and your work in that area as well? Because to some degree it is a leadership challenge. I mean, of self and and of others.
1: Interesting point, yes. And I find myself when I talk to leaders about, and I, I was just doing this last week, a, a group of senior leaders in an organization that I do a session um, mental health leadership, and 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 they were asking all kinds of questions about their teams, about their teams, about their teams, and I finally stopped and I said, "Okay, now let's let's stop for a moment and let me ask you guys, mm-hmm. what do you do for your mental health?" Mm-hmm. Oh well, what do you mean? I said, well, right there, the fact that you have to ask is interesting, isn't it? What does that mean to you? What do you think it means? Tell me more about that, right? And interesting stuff started to come up, and 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 it it boiled down to these are and this is something I think you will really appreciate having worked your entire career with leaders. I, I literally have basically said all leaders will develop leadership disease; they all do. <laughs> And it has many different symptoms. (laughs) And one of the symptoms of leaders is they are by far their biggest critic. Mm -hmm. And they push themselves way too hard. And they always want to take care of others first. Mm -hmm. But they forget themselves in the process. Yeah. That's one of the symptoms of leadership disease. And so I asked them about that. And they all raised their hand. You know, I had 40 of them, and they all raised their hand and said, Yep, yep, yep. I yes. And I said, so. Let me ask you, when was the last time you told your team, I'm going to take Friday and Monday off because I need two mental health days because it's been really rough. And by the way, starting Thursday evening, I will be unplugged. You will not be able to reach me because that's the point of my mental health days. When have you done that last? One person had done it once. And 39 of them had never done it. And I said, why is that? And that's what's so interesting to me is is the, the the pressure that leaders put themselves under. And in doing so, they forget that they have to put their own oxygen mask on first. Yeah. Absolutely. And I before
0: again, again, I'm stopping you. Um, yeah. before we get into that a little more, I assume that you don't you're not talking about leader here from the perspective of the heroes. That are sometimes called leader in our culture, oftentimes. Yep. So those either, I mean, I'm thinking of many executives that are on, on, on or exe- actually leader as opposed to an executive and a celebrity executive, right? Who we celebrate, and I don't see those reflected in how you describe a leader. I'm sure that's, mm-hmm. you know, those seem to be driven by other values than. Mm-hmm others and I've pushed myself extra hard. Maybe they push themselves extra hard as well, but the others first, I don't detect that often.
1: And, I, and that's exactly right. And I think it's undoubtedly true that they push themselves maybe even harder, those celebrities type hero types, because they, they now need to fulfill that image to others. That's very exhausting. But the thing that I have found, um, I, I, let me put it this way, those types of leaders are not attracted to me. Mm-hmm. Because, yes. I'm, I'm, <laughs> um, and, and frankly it's because the bigger the ego the larger the lake of insecurity beneath it of course yes you no know? so okay yes. and and yes. that's but but you know i i have had a couple that had you know a little more of an image but something in them was looking for something else and I just sort of poked at that and then they got curious. Okay, well, what, tell me, what do you mean? What? Wait, you know, and that opened the door and then a shift happened for them. And that's really powerful because people who are this driven like that, um, well, they're driven, <laughs> but the other thing is, the psychological energy it takes to maintain this image this ego this this is so much work and it's so exhausting that once they can actually what i say is they shift they make a shift from i am my ego right to i have an ego Mm -hmm. that's a huge shift but when they make that shift now all the psychic energy the psychological energy they had to use to maintain this ego identification Now they don't need to use for that. And they suddenly find themselves having so much more energy to to shift and to, you know, get into a different space. And then they can do actually that much more. Yeah. They're discovering the self behind the ego. That has an ego, but isn't the ego. Exactly. Right. And that's a really wonderful shift when that happens, because those people have lots of energy then. It's like, oh my God, I don't have to make all this
0: anymore. That's true. true.
1: (laughs) That's really funny. Yeah.
0: Well, I I also think. I mean, you know, I think that shifts. You know, I mean, some people, some people have identified so much with the ego that, you know, they're not, they're not, they don't seek leadership development either, (laughs) right? In in a sense, but um, but the the ones you're talking about certainly do, and now coming back to you know mental health and and wellness and and those kind of things how i mean when when you when you engage leaders about this and ask them not only are your people you know afflicted by specific issues but how are you taking care of yourself do you find it easier after the pandemic to have these conversations yes or are, or Maybe it's easier to have the conversations, but is it sustained? Is it is it is there a transformative energy that you're you're sensing um at the moment?
1: I think so. I think there's a lot happening with this. I think people have just realized how much they've struggled. And in doing so, also if they're leaders, they've obviously been subjected to team members struggling and maybe even taking leaves of absence and things like that. And I think that um and this this is where I, I'll just say I, I like American business in that way, that when they see okay we need to shift this like it's a business need, mm-hmm. let's do it let's do what we need to do, and then they're doing it and I think that's what I'm seeing I'm seeing that momentum building for this, mm. and I and I often make a point when we talk about you know how do you, how do you listen what do you look for how do you create conversation how do you create a safe space for people to talk about their mental health? all those things. And and oftentimes I can see them kind of going, oh, okay, okay, like, okay, this, I got to practice. I got to learn how to do this. And I go, I got you. I said, but let me also say something. And I always tell this uh, to them. I always say, yeah, my background's in psychology, but I've always been steeped in the business world. So I'm very pragmatic as well. And what I will tell you is, this is the right thing to do for people, yes. And it's good for business. And it's okay to have both. As a matter of fact, it's great to have both to also know what you're doing here is good business. Because when you create an environment like this where people can speak sooner to when they're struggling and they know you're, they're safe with you, they can come to you, you know where the resources are, what resources you can offer to them, they go get the help they need, boom, boom, boom. I said, this person will never go down that road. If you catch someone's mental instability in the first three months of it occurring, your chances of them fully recovering very quickly are tenfold. Sure. You go over that three months mark and it, the curve goes down dramatically. Nine to 12 months into a mental health issue, the chance of recovery has dropped 80%. It's just, it's dramatic. So this is good business. Yeah. And I think that's really important for them to hear that this is just also good business. And ultimately, it's good for productivity. It's good for attrition. It's good for all kinds of business metrics that you can put in place.
0: Of course. But I wonder, I mean, I had this conversation earlier this, uh, last week, I should say, the- um, and this was not in a business context necessarily, but we were just sitting together, a few eight eight people more or less, and we were talking about mental illness, mental health, and there wasn't anyone around the table who wasn't affected by it in some way, who didn't have a story. But we also discovered the, the social stigma and, and and whatnot that sits around it. And what I what I sometimes feel <laughs> with business. Um, these notions, you know, let's let's bring yourself to work, right? Before the pandemic, it wasn't wasn't really meant, right? Or nobody ever, you know, questioned that. You know, bring yourself to work meant, I'll bring some version of myself that looks happy and is broadly content and is engaged, and and you know, and there is a lot of pretense and 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 in this. It's almost the Facebook image of the person, right? I mean, uh, um, mm-hmm. But but I can't really bring myself to work because the, that self that you're asking for might have bouts of depression, may feel out of control, has lives that are complicated. It doesn't doesn't feel in control and. If anything, we have to almost curate a self at work where we are in control and we master our... I
1: like that that term, curate. That's yeah. a very, very great yeah. description.
0: And, and I think that pressure to curate
1: towards that particular image has decreased a little bit today. I agree. I agree. And I think part of it is too for leaders to start to step into that space more actively by saying to people, oh, I've had a rough week. I'm going to take an extra day. You know, everybody just you know. If you ever feel it, let me know. You know, and just you can always come to me. That that kind of stuff. It's just, and and I always and I've run into leaders that will say, yeah, but this all this touchy feely stuff, and I'm just not. You know, it's like I got you, I got you. It doesn't mean you become everybody's personal best friend, by the way. Right, or therapists for that matter. Right, literally it was just exactly right. It's like you, that is not your job, by the way. Not at all. That's that's what clinical professionals are for. Yeah, Your job is to make sure your team is productive and as productive as it can be. And this is a huge chunk in that. And what it's called, it's just the human dimension in business. And this human dimension has many layers to it. And one of the real prominent ones now is are people feeling mentally healthy at work? Do they feel like they can, they're not going crazy when they walk in the door, frankly, right? And that if you can, Feel that temperature, you can just have a feel for that temperature in the room. That's what we're talking about. You don't have to run around and hug and kiss people and tell them how great they are. Not the point. Oh, that's right. Yeah. You can be completely pragmatic about it. Now, your empathy, you know, will probably show up. Um, you know, when you care enough about someone to ask them, How are you doing? you know. Um, that's empathic, by the way. And that's another thing I've run into so much that leaders think when you, I will always ask this very particular question to my coaching clients. At some point, I will say, how is your empathy? Literally exactly like that. I will ask <laughs> yeah, them. that's a great question. <laughs> and then the the answers you get, oh, here we go. I, I was waiting for that. Now you want me to tell you all about how I tell my people that I love them and I hug them and kiss them and all that touchy-feely stuff. And I'm like, wow, interesting. Not what I asked. <laughs> Well, not in so many words you didn't. And it's like, not in any words did I ask that. (laughs) Well, you implied it. No, didn't imply it in any way, shape or form, because I know what I was thinking when I asked that, did not imply that. But you inferred a lot from the question and that's what we want to look at. Where is that coming from? Because none of that is necessarily empathy. It It can be something that happens out of empathy at some point. Yes, but that's not empathy. Let me tell you, psychological definition of empathy. And they're always so surprised because then they find out, Oh, so you're telling me I can be empathic without having to do all that stuff? (laughs) It's like, yeah, you know, empathy is just the human capacity to read emotional signals, to, you know, name the emotion this person is probably experiencing based on the signals I pick up. I can confirm the emotion with them, mirroring it back to them. And by doing that, I'm empathic. That's it. Oh, that's it. Yep, that's it. Well, I know how to do that. Great. (laughs) <laughs> it's you don't have to. If you want to then hug them and kiss them, and that's the relationship you have with them, great, but not the point, right? And it's the same I'm finding around mental health. No, no, you're not going to be someone's therapist. You're not going to sit there and listen to their problems. You maybe just to get a read and a sense, you they will tell you, I've been struggling with this and this and this, and then you go, oh. Did you know we have this resource through EAP? You can call this number and you can get a clinical counselor on the line. And by the way, did you know it's 100% confidential because shame and stigma will keep you from calling? Right. And our conversation is 100% confidential. And why don't you go call that number and you get the help you need. It's free to you. It's free to your direct dependents. You know, you need to really take care of yourself and you tell me what you may need work-wise where I can support you during this time. That's right. And let's have a follow-up meeting in two weeks to see where you're at. Yeah. That's all you need to do. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I can do that.
0: And I think, I mean, this is, I always, I mean, as you know, I always seek the relationship to the idea of inclusive leadership, right? And, and to me, that's, leaders can do maybe one more thing, namely just to normalize. And I think you that's thats in what you were talking about. I mean, thats that's ultimately what you're saying to just normalize the phenomenon, the struggle with these questions, right? To simply say to people, oh, that's that's totally normal. In fact, I've had this in my own career or I've had this last week or so, you know? So,
1: because oh. And that is literally what you just said is one of the biggest learnings I've had in the last two years is that, huh, and this is the phrase I use. I said, our goal is to get to the place where you can talk about mental health the same way you can talk about physical health. Yeah just to normalize it and to understand the brain can get sick and then it can recover and get healthy yes. again. Yes. Or like someone who has diabetes, they have to take insulin shots, whatever it is, they gotta check their blood sugar level and what have you. That's gonna be something that's gonna be with them for the rest of their life, most likely. and. If somebody has bipolar affective disorder, same thing. But they can take the medication, and they'll be balanced out, and they can join us, quote unquote, that's over right. here, where where the normal people are, quote unquote. You know, which is based on that old you know idea. But but I say so. So just start to think of it in the same way, and then and then people go, yeah, but you know, uh, who really develops mental disorders? And 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 that's another one. Yeah, that's part of the narrative we created, right? Oh, there are those of us who are normal, right? "Quote unquote," and have mental well-being, and th- I, there's no reason for me to believe I'm ever going to go crazy. "Quote," and I'm using this, you know, very loosely as a term just to describe this, not sure. what I would usually use as a term. Um, you know, there's no reason for me to ever think that I'm going to go crazy. Well, life may throw me a curveball, or has thrown me a curveball in the past, and I've kind of push- been pushed over into like a little bit of a crisis mode, but. You know, I handled it and I had the support system I needed and I went out and I, you know, rose to the challenge and and great, right? And I got through it and I came out a bit bigger, better person for it. And then I went back to being quote unquote normal. So there's no reason for me to believe I'm ever going to go nuts. Uh-huh. Interesting. So here's what I always say. What if someone came to you and said, it is impossible for me to get cancer? What would your response be? That I, well, it's ludicrous.
0: Well, ludicrous, Exactly, yeah. it's a ludicrous statements. You
1: know? <laughs> <Yes. It's> ludicrous. <laughs> You're a carbon-based life form. You have human cells. Trust me, you can get cancer. Now, That's you may be right. more or less likely to get it. Yes, more or less at risk, but you can get it. Yeah. Our response should be the same. If if we think to ourselves or say to ourselves, it is impossible for me to develop a mental disorder. Right. You're a human life form. You have a psyche. Trust me, it's possible. <laughs> more or less likely but it's possible.
0: So it's interesting because now we are, you know, I think we are at the currently in this, in an in a, in a I mean, maybe historically unique moment where at the global scale, right, we are actually all having at least the opportunity to get in touch with our own humanity or that essential humanity, right, that we are, in fact, dealing with and struggling with these type of things and, we need to own up to that in ourselves which is hard for many people but then also help others like take the stigma away and to your point normalize that and that's what i think is and thereby humanizing the workplace humanizing organizations or institutions humanizing ourselves yes yes
1: yes 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 <laughs> and and i and I, and it's 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 because you know the what i tell people to do is, is what like like we worked with um this very, very, very large company, 26,000 people. And we did a year long program to talk about mental health leadership with them. Their middle management, I mean, they really committed to it. And one of the things they would say is this, yeah, but our organization is just not like that. It's our organization, organization, organization. And I would stop them and go, okay, let's, let's look at that. What are we actually talking about here? Who is this? What is this organization you speak of? And in the end, we would always come to the conclusion, ultimately it's us. Right an organization is a bunch of human beings getting together to make something or to produce a service or whatever it is. And that's what they're doing. Right. And we can't leave it by the door. When I come to work, whether I'm working from home or not, doesn't matter. I'm not, I'm not going to leave my humanity by the door. It doesn't work. No, It doesn't work. Right. And, and I think this is, is part of this, this idea of humanizing the workplace. And, and, and it also reminds me, I did a uh, session with a a fast food restaurant chain here in the U S and I went to the annual thing and did these sessions on mental health in the workplace and I had done some stuff online with them. So every single one of their managers had been exposed to it. And I had a couple of people after presentations, a couple of people came up to me one of them had tears in her eyes and thanked me for having done the other sessions and how much this had changed. And she said, I will tell you, I started just with my teams. And these are 16-year-olds that are high school students to 50, 60-year-olds who are adding money to their retirement, whatever, right? She says, I have, a, a and all cultures, every, it's like I have the United Nations in my restaurant, right? right. And she said, but, but she said, but once I started taking to heart what you said, and I would just do check-ins with people. And I would just do, and I turned it into a thing. So now we do a mental health check-in with each other. And yeah. she said, the things I've learned about my teams and the things I've, I've the, the conversations I got to have with them. And the help they ended up getting for themselves through EAP, through these programs that we have available, she said, it's completely changed the way we operate as a team. Sure. Yeah. And I swear to you, she says, we're more productive.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's what people miss in all of that. That what, because now I'm actually bringing my whole self to work and not just that curated version um, that I think is acceptable.
1: No, it's 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 really an interesting shift.
0: Do you think, I mean, I've, I've seen this sometimes get in the way for people because many managers or people that are in, in corporate structures or whatnot, they, they oftentimes feel the role of a manager is to bring the solutions, have the answers, right? And And all of a sudden, now a check-in where people tell me something about their personal life, where they open up, puts me now into a deep conflict around how am I a good manager to those people? because I I have no solution, right? And, and I mean, I've always found people really struggling with that. How do how do I now need to respond out of the best
1: intentions? And you know, it's so funny. We're, it's so funny because you're literally describing another one of my leadership disease symptoms. And I always tell them, one of the symptoms of leadership is another symptom of leadership disease is, they want to help, they want to fix. Yeah, they want yeah. to help their team members. They want to fix things. They want to get them to, you know, whatever it is. So I always say, When you're doing a check-in with someone and you have that one-on-one, I said, first of all, start the conversation with a simple, in your own way, whatever words you want to use, how are you? And then be silent and wait for the answer. Do not fill that space. Let them take a moment to to decide for themselves, well, first of all, how am I actually? And I do know how I am. I know how I'm struggling. I know that's why I'm in this meeting because they probably noticed my performance dropping, blah, blah, blah. Okay, then let me just kind of reset here. What do I want to share? How much, you know, that kind of thing. And then their answer will tell you a lot about where they're at. And if that conversation goes into that personal space where they share with you the struggles they've been having and those kinds of things, I said, don't respond by helping. Respond by asking first, after they've shared, what can I do to help? Give them a chance to tell you. Because here's the thing, they've trusted you at this point, right? So kudos to you. You've done a good job as a leader because they feel safe with you, that they can talk to you about it. So here's the thing. And I've heard this many times. People can open up. They can just sort of vomit it all out. I always say like verbally kind of vomit it all out, just kind of go blah. And then I ask them, so wow, thank you so much for sharing. What can I do to help? They may look at you and say, you know what? Now that I got to just kind of get it all out with you, I actually feel so much better. I think that's all I need for now. Yeah. And that may actually be
0: it. It's sometimes the best help is having that making that small, safe space for
1: people to express it. Yeah. And have someone else they can just without the judgment. And here's the other thing I tell people, and that's one thing I've learned over the years. And 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 it's it's just I've and we started this with some of the work we did together too, but I've really, really honed in on this. Go into this conversation with genuine curiosity about them. Be genuinely curious, and you can't fake it. Either you are or you're not. That's right. And I give this to my students, um, which I guess I didn't mention, but uh, you know, I teach on the side of an adjunct at the University of Minnesota and I teach this class on DEI leadership and one of the assignments my students get For the last third or quarter kind of organic about it when I can tell they're ready. And I tell them I have another assignment for you and they always complain and I go, it's not gonna be graded and you don't have to write anything, (laughs) but what is it? I said, I want you to go into every human interaction you're gonna have from now until the end of the semester, as much as you can remember to obviously not always gonna do it, but try to remember as much as you can and as often as you can to be genuinely curious about the person across from you. I don't care if it's the cashier at the supermarket, doesn't matter. Just be genuinely curious about them and see what happens to you as a result first. First of all, how does this interaction, how is this affected by that? And then see what happens.
0: Well, we oftentimes, you know, I mean, obviously it makes sense to say be genuinely curious about others, but... Um, oftentimes we need to start with ourselves being genuinely curious about ourselves. <laughs> and one
1: begets the other.
0: And then we may need to be courageous to, to look at some aspects that we'd rather not look at. Yeah. And
1: I tell you, one begets the other. When I'm curious about other people, I start being curious about myself in a different way and vice versa. If I start being curious with myself, I'm going to start to get more curious with others. So I can't lose.
0: So one thing that I'm curious about is what, Brought you to this place of making that your work, and I know that you've 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 had a you know you, you you went through various different stages as we all do sometimes. But it's there's a big difference between saying you know you didn't say let me become a licensed psychologist and then you go into private practice and that's what you've been doing for 20 years. There is an evolution here. O.D. plus cultural leadership development, you know, which sometimes I appreciate you know, in in, in our own journeys of professional growth and development,
1: right? But what's at the core of this? What motivates you? I think it's because at the end of the day, I feel that human beings have such a potential, including me, that we haven't realized of, for lack of a better description, creating heaven on earth. Mm. We have a real potential to do that. We have this incredible planet, this incredible nature, this incredible balance of things. Just the idea of, you know, where we are in terms of orbiting around the sun, you know, within, you know, a hundred thousand miles further or, you know, whatever that kind of changes depending on where we are. But the idea that we're in that, cosmically speaking, we're in like a a millionth of a centimeter, you know, perfect that life can be sustained on this planet the way that it is. And, And I still maintain that human beings have this inherent potential and that inherent ability to actually create this experience here to be here together and and kind of marvel at it all marvel at what what incredible beings we are and how we fit into all of the rest of this and how it's it's just this incredible environment that we live in and and do i sometimes have moments when i lose my hope a little bit when i see what the world does and what we do with it yes but but i think that's my motivation deep down is is for us to realize more of that potential as much as possible that we are all part of this incredible experience here you know and and we're all swimming in the quantum soup on top of it on that level Right but but that that we are, <laughs> yeah, right. but that we are also these these conscious creative beings and that we could steer that in any direction we choose to. And the other thing that really motivates me is when I see it happen, that somebody's mind and heart shift and they become more in alignment with each other and they start to show up in their own way as that human. Right. And 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 how much that affects the people around them in their personal life and in their professional life and how much that can affect other people. That's just what motivates me is when I can see that, you know, and, and how humans are so capable of incredible acts of beauty and kindness and love. And and thus it's just incredible. That's um what I mean, just
0: listening to you, it's almost a spiritual um mm-hmm. source from which from out of which you draw there in terms of your motivation yeah i think so i think there's Has that a... always been with you or was there a moment where you feel like that's that crystallized it for me or that
1: i let me just say my my elementary school teacher in germany <laughs> <laughs> told my mother at a parent teacher conference and i was probably eight years old eight nine years old and there was um a conference and my my teacher told my parents i don't know what it is with your son." But he's always in there when conflict arises between, especially when I ask something of the students and they don't want to do it or whatever, he always gets in there and he mediates it. And he always tells the kids, well, here's what Frau Oppenheimer is trying to do. And this is why we need to do that. And da, 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 don't you understand? And then he comes to me and explains, well, could we maybe do it this way? Would you be okay if we did it this way? Because then we're still going to do what you need us to do. But we would might go, she says, he does this all the time. <laughs> he's probably going to be a diplomat one day is what he she said <laughs> so i think there was something you know don't we all have something in us that we are born with That you know that is, is you know and i think that that's my my little seed it's
0: great i mean to have, i mean to have that elementary school teacher i i you know i resonate deeply with that <laughs> i've had some interesting teachers telling me it's similar things that but I mean, but for many of us, I think it's, you know, either we sometimes we have these these qualities and you just you started talking about quality, right? Leadership as a quality. We have these qualities, but then we cover them up, right? I mean, mm. our parents ask us to cover it up, or circumstances require us to cover it up, or the career choice. Society at large. Are, yeah. We don't necessarily choose our careers based on those qualities sometimes. Mm. And 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 so not everybody has that luxury i think to also then professionally in their pre, in their pursuit to live those or to live on the basis of those
1: and i think what you're talking about too has come has has, has really shown up in both in germany and in the us now with this idea oh ausbildungsberufe in germany you know the apprenticeship system I, yeah. and then the same here with the trades it's like oh no everybody needs to go to college it's like oh hell no what are you talking about Right. What if somebody has a real talent? Like, like our adopted son, he has a total talent. He he loves CNC operation and this this computer, you know, machining yeah. thing. And he just, it's, it's like he's a flippant genius at it because it's his thing. Right. What if we had forced him to go into college? He would have died a right. slow death in the academic environment like that right? And I think that's the other part that that we just keep, you know, sort of people telling us, oh, you 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 should, you should, you should, you know? And that right. reminds me of um, something a, an old mentor and friend of mine used to say, and I love this line, don't let anybody should on you and least of all yourself, pun intended.
0: <laughs> yes, true, true. Yeah. yeah, because how much potential gets squashed that way? Either we squash it ourselves or sometimes our culture, our Environment, you know, I mean, it's it's just an incredible uh, tragedy that happens,
1: and because it, it it goes both ways. Working class families telling their kids who want to go to college, no, 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 you stay, stay, stay in your your groove here. You know, you you you're working class, or academic families. Well, I want to be, you know, an electrician. No, 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 you need to go to university. No, no you need that's to That's your yeah. place, and it's like both ways. It's like no, that's no, right. Follow your, you know, your your your, your bliss, your joy. Yeah, and that can change over a lifetime, too. It should change,
0: actually, over a lifetime. You know, sometimes it's actually sad that it doesn't, right? It means we're stuck somewhere. Um, Ralf, I need to ask you, um, I mean, first of all, I'm really delighted to bring all of this into our institute, especially around the, the, the wellness and the um, the focus on psychological health and well-being and those kind of things, because I think it's a real... My big worry in all of this is that we are, as, as it happens sometimes, when there are these historic moments where things open up, opportunities open up. Right now is the time after the pandemic to have these conversations. People are open. And I worry sometimes that that also is only a window of time until kind of the cultural movement goes in the opposite direction again. Right now we are, and we have, we invent those structures again. That reduce our humanity, or or so for whatever reason. I, I, you know, so so keeping this the opportunity of the moment, the potential of this historical moment alive, I think is very important. That's that's I think what just just reflecting on what you were saying. But I always end conversations um, in in these podcasts around asking you what are some things that you've learned that you think are very really practical from everything that you've learned one or two things that people can heed right away that they can apply right away.
1: The biggest thing for me is this, and I'm working on this and I have been working on it for 30 years, is to remember that I'm actually in charge of my own experience and to remind myself of this moment to moment as much as possible. The beauty is, um, I think Charles Swindoll said once, I believe that 90% of of life is what what I make of it and 10% is what's actually happening. And I would say actually 99.99% of what's happening is actually my experience and how I create it moment to moment. And I always do this through thought that creates a feeling and that's my experience of what's happening around me. And I think for me, the biggest thing is to, when we notice, We're going down that road of stress, frustration, you know, being in a funk, whatever that, however it shows up, when we notice it to literally at that moment, pull a stop, a timeout and say, stop. What am I actually thinking right now? What am I actually thinking? Let me take a look at what it's because I've been doing it unconsciously is the point I've become my thoughts. That's why I'm feeling the way I am. Let me stop for a moment and regain control by saying, what was actually going on here? What was I actually thinking? And then to, and and this is the superhuman power we have. We can watch ourselves think and act. No other, as far as we know, no other sentient being on the planet can do this, which is amazing. So I can actually stop and look at my thinking and say, okay, this is why I'm feeling the way I am. Does this help me? Do I like feeling this way? And does it help the situation? To be able to ask these questions is incredibly powerful. And if my answer to any of those questions is no, then try this. Don't fix it. Don't judge yourself for having the thoughts. Don't try to positive think your way out of it. None of that. Simply see your thinking and decide for yourself, I am disengaging from this line of thinking. I'm getting off this train of thought. And see what happens. Mm-hmm. It's a powerful, once we do that, it's really interesting. It's like, whoa, what? whoa, no wonder I'm feeling this way. And, and here's the thing. Sometimes I might answer that question and say, yes, I want to be angry at this. Well, good. But then here's the thing. It's already different then because I am not that anger. I am now choosing to be angry. Yeah. And that's very different yeah. from being the anger, right? So there's already something gained by doing that. So that's my biggest practical thing that I, I want to offer to people. Play around with that. Try it on for size and see what happens. You may just be really surprised how quickly you can step into that space and go, whoa, what have you been thinking here? Right. Yeah, yeah. 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 You know? And who hasn't had that happen when, when we did something and afterwards go, what was I thinking?
0: Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's powerful. Absolutely. So thank you, Hal, uh, for this conversation. I was just thinking if if there are beings on this planet that have that uh, capability they were smart, very smart not to tell us
1: <laughs> they're like we're not joining them no <laughs> we're gonna be over here and having our own thing that's really cool <laughs> thank you <laughs> oh totally totally thank you this was so much fun
0: thank you for listening You can sign up for more wherever you get your podcasts. Just look for the Inclusive Leader Podcast. To find out more about the Inclusive Leadership Institute, visit us at www.theinclusiveleadershipinstitute.com.